Hi, everyone. It's Michelle from Studio City Now. And today my guest is Jenny Rook. Thank you so much for joining me. Oh, it's lovely to be here, Michelle. I'm really going to, looking forward to this. Me too. And I know last week we had a snag because I had a um, we had a storm here. Oh, yes, I heard about that. Yes. And your, your Internet went down. My Internet went out. My television mm. went out, which I could mm. care less about. Mm. Um, thankfully, I still had electricity. But resetting everything is the pain in the you know what. Yeah. So, you know, I know you're the author of two books. The first one, Fly By Night. That was years ago, yes. And the second, Book of the Sun. Tell me about it. Yes. Well, um, I've actually written 11 novels years ago. Oh, my gosh. Um, which were published. I uh, never made enough money about from them. And I wanted to leave my second husband. So I retrained as a psychoanalytical psychotherapist for children and their families. So I worked for the NHS for 20 years doing that. All right. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Um, and then something absolutely extraordinary happened to me, which pushed me back into writing again, which is where the sun, Book of the Sun comes from. Um, shall I tell you where this what this is about, really? Because <laughs> it is very extraordinary. Um, yes. When I was eight year olds, I asked my father, do you believe in God? And he said, no evidence, dear, no evidence at all. So I became a really doctrinaire atheist for most of my life, for a good 50 years, you know, good 50 years. And um, then at my work, I was um, seeing an adolescent girl who was extremely depressed and self-cutting, didn't look after herself, you know, didn't wash, hair was long and lank and, you know, looked in a terrible mess. And she suddenly changed one day she came to her session and she was wearing bright jolly clothes she looked clean and fresh and she smiled at me first time ever and said um I've been healed I said what do you mean she said my mum got in touch with a spiritual healer and my depression has gone oh. I feel fine and I've always been a very curious person and so I thought I'm going to investigate so I went to our local spiritualist church and found what they did there. And gradually, the more you investigate things like that, the more you find there is a lot of evidence for things beyond the materialist paradigm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So anyway, I, I did, I suppose, eight years of investigation and I took a course in miracles. I had a past life and between lives hypnosis session. I did all sorts of things. And eventually I took a course called uh, 45 Days for Awakening. Oh, wow. Yeah. And on day 12 of that course, I suddenly felt this most extraordinary download of love, warmth, joy, beauty and a voice in my mind very clearly saying you are in my heart extraordinary and the voice continued for a good year or two telling me all sorts of stuff it started off with this you are in my heart I didn't know what it was you are divine it said so I said why me and it said you are everyone oh wow you are all vibrations you are all made by me you the planets are made by me they are and I, I was saying, well, who are you then? You know, and after about two weeks of this, I'm still incredibly joyful because I'm still feeling like this. And 
I said, well, who are you? Who are you? You know, what are you doing talking to me like this? And it said, I'm the son. The son? How can you be the son? You know, it was so sort of ridiculous. And it, it said, yes, I'm the sun in your sky shining down on you now. And I thought, well, I don't know. If if the next poem I read has got the sun in it, I'll believe this. And um, I, I was coming home from work that day and I was clearing out the Sunday papers and I thought, oh, the Sunday papers have got a poem in them, haven't they? So I opened it up and I looked and the poem had finished up with the words of that old hymn, Glad That I Live Am I, after the sun, the rain, after the rain, the sun, this is the way of life until life uh, work is done, you know? So I thought, yeah, perhaps it is the sun, you know? And then it started telling me all sorts of stuff about the structure of the universe, why it's so difficult here, what's the flaw? It's be visited us before in ancient Egypt, the sun god, sun kingdoms there with the pharaohs and the pyramids, and also in um, Central and Southern America with the Aztecs, the Incas and the Maya and things like that. And it said the problem with those places, although it started off well, they became um, they became organized religions and they are about separation and hierarchies and power complexes and rules and regulations and it's utterly against the spirit of who I am and what I am and that's what what this book is about it's about the structure of the universe from the point of view of the sun it is our creator um can I read you a tiny bit of it please um this is the beginning of chapter five when I asked it are you god and it said, from your perspective, yes, I am the creator of your planet and of you. I am well described in the loving aspect of many of your religions, and I understand and love everything that you are and do. I know the secrets of every heart, and I forgive you everything because I am you through the function of my photons. You need only relax and you will find, you will feel my love all around you and within you, not a fly dies without my knowledge, without my care. And yet from my perspective, I am not God, but a channel for God or source's love as it fills the universe, the galaxies and constellations and star systems. I focus this love into your world. Wow. So that's what I had talking to me. And it was just astonishing. I can't tell you, Michelle, honestly, I have never been so surprised in all my life. Um, it came to me, I think, for two or three reasons. Um, one is that I was a writer, you know, I'm, I can write, I can put words together and, you know, I know what, how books work. Mm -hmm. Two is that I was an atheist, so I can challenge our God, our creator, about why it's so bloody difficult here. You know, why do people suffer so much? What's going on? And I get all those answers. And the third thing is that because I've been an atheist, I've got no chance of wanting to set up a religion or anything like that again. I, I just couldn't possibly go there. You know, it just wouldn't. So that's what's happened. That is incredible. Yeah. I just love that passage you read. And then earlier, like a minute ago, you said something about uh, the sun had said something about the Aztecs and the Mayans. Mm -hmm. They had created a religion. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and saw their god, their sun god, as a punitive god who needed sacrifices and things like that. And it said, uh, you know, I am pure love. I don't need sacrifices. I don't need prayers. I don't need praise. I don't need any of these things. I grew up yeah. Catholic. Are you? <laughs> need I say more? 
How's your guilt going? <laughs> oh, it gets better. Italian Catholic. Then we did our DNA, found out we're part Jewish. Oh, well. Mother from the old country is probably true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, half my family converted to Judaism because being Italian Catholic didn't have quite enough guilt. Oh, brilliant. <laughs> but what I... <laughs> oh, me and George Carlin, the late comedian, we could go yeah. on and on. Brilliant. But I remember... You know, because the Aztecs and the Mayans fascinated me. They had irrigation and, I mean, a form of electricity. They were incredible. They were. But we were told, I, can't, I don't even know if I can say this with a straight face, the reason they disappeared was they didn't believe in the right God. The but reason they disappeared, it was because various conquistadors came over and, and massacred them all because they had better weapons. True. But you got to remember, I went to Catholic school. <laughs> so you wouldn't hear that, would you? <laughs> you know, it's so I think, um, you know, I had to self-publish in the end because um, conventional publishers wouldn't take this on because it's so off the wall, really. It's so weird. It's so unlike anything else. And if you read the Amazon reviews, they say, this is really unusual. This is a very odd book. Um, but they all say read it because it's fascinating and it shows all sorts of tells you all sorts of things answers to all the big questions that humanity has always wondered about and besides makes you feel very happy yeah that's what i had read i'd gone on amazon then i went on your website which hmm. is jennyrook.com it is yeah and i actually started downloading on my kindle hmm. but then you know i know life goes on <laughs> zoom <laughs> the zoom meeting i'm like oh my god i can only do one thing at one time yeah 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 but yeah i'm looking forward to reading and you're self-published yeah but well like hybrid published um, hybrid published and it's it's doing really well i think yeah i know nothing about that but we'll find out later <laughs> yeah <laughs> but you said you've written other books oh yes um this is ages ago i mean it was all in the 90s really late 80s and 90s I wrote um, the trilogy which Fly By Night was the first one that was a fantasy um, sort of Dungeons and Dragons kind of trilogy thing and I wrote two um, adult ghost stories haunted house stories and haunted city story and I wrote five or six children, uh, sort of adolescent horror fantasy books as well. Now what was your inspiration even just to start writing? Oh, um, I was an, an absolutely addicted reader. Okay. And I loved books so much that sometimes I fell in love with the characters and I wanted more of them. So I used to write extension stories of them. And ah. that's how I got going. Oh, my gosh. But you also, because I did glance at your biography, you have mm -hmm. a degree in English, don't you? Yeah, English and music. Wow. Like I said, I'm writing as we talk. Mm-hmm. It's like, besides the storm, I ran out of ink. I couldn't print stuff. How can you run out of ink? Don't you have barrows and things? Well, my day later is going to Office Depot to get ink, to hit mm -hmm. FedEx. Mm -hmm. You know, the list of stuff you put off till the last minute. Mm. So English and music. Now, do yeah. you do anything musical? 
not so much now. I used to sing in choirs and play the piano a lot. I'm getting slightly arthritic fingers now because I'm nearly 70. So it's really beginning. Yeah. You couldn't tell. I'm so glad. <laughs> That's the right thing to say. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> well, you know, living in England, you've got that incredible weather that keeps your skin. Yeah. Just, yeah. you know, dewy and fresh and... Well, not very hot sun, you know. <laughs> <laughs> we must talk to the sun about that. <laughs> I did. I said, "What? Well, why are you so fierce in other parts of the, the globe? You know, why is it so hot in, around the equator and so on? And it said that um, in order to teach you to look after yourselves, to give you an impetus to to for technology and things like that, you know, to learn to look after each other too. Ah, never thought of that. Mm, there you are. Yeah, see, my thought would be not everybody likes, oh, let me rephrase that. People like different temperatures. Yeah. So the sun is adjusting to, you know, like people like me who will live at the beach. Mm -hmm. So the sun is there to keep me warm, to keep the waters warm. Yeah, yeah. And, and I, I hate going to, well, I love swimming in the sea, but I don't like beach life, basically. I don't do that. No. Right. And then there's the mountains where it snows. Mm -hmm. And there are people who are addicted. They love that. Yes. Yeah. I like to drive home from the snow. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, I had friends in from Derbyshire. Mm -hmm. And um, we drove to Las Vegas. And I said, I'm going to show you something that I don't think you have in England. They said, what? And I said, well, we left my house at 6 a.m., mm -hmm. went down to Santa Monica, sat on the beach for about 20 minutes. Then we drove the back roads where it was snowing. Gosh. Then from the snow, we drove the back roads again to Vegas, where it was hot desert. Oh, bizarre. I yes. Not like that in England, no. No. No, but we're closer to the equator also. You are. Yes. So for anybody, you know, wanting to reach out, um, I said your website's jennyrook.com. Mm-hmm. Um, and it has links on it to Facebook and Instagram and Twitter and all that stuff too. The links are there. Perfect. I was going to ask you about that. <laughs> It, it doesn't come easily to me, I must say, all that stuff. And um, uh, my agent has, you know, said, you really have to get on board with it, all this. You know, you have to sort of push it like that. And I find it quite difficult, really. <laughs> and I have two iPhones. And, and you're on it all the time, are you? Um, not really. No. People only call me when I'm busy. <laughs> of course. Um, I don't even have cable in my house. I don't. Yeah. Watch, yeah, I don't watch that much TV anymore. No, no. I think lots of people don't. Mm. Yeah, I have internet. Everything mm -hmm. I can watch, I've got the computer. But I want to go back into spirituality. Oh, yes. Yeah, you said this um, patient you had. Yeah. Which I think is amazing. So did I. And then you took the, the course, you took a course in miracles? 
Yes, it's a very famous book within spirituality. It's written by what? Uh, um, Helen um, Shukna. Shukna. Uh, hang on, I can tell you. <laughs> Course in Miracles. Da, da, da. Oh, she she uh, hated it. She channeled it. It's supposed to be Jesus who who came down and talked to her. Okay. Um, Helen Shukna. Shukman. That's it. Shukman. Okay. Well, I'm out today. I can. That's quite heavy going. I wouldn't start on that one. <laughs> no, no. I would rather start with 45 days of awakening. Yeah. 45 days to awakening. It was an amazing thing. By um, It's run by an American guy called Jeffrey Martin, Dr. Jeffrey Martin. And he's very interesting because he um, made a fortune. I can't remember in what it was. I think it might have been in property dealing or something. I don't know. And he could retire. And he had everything that, you know, the world says makes you happy. Um, you know, as much money as he wanted. Nice cars, lovely house, children, family, the lot. And he wasn't happy. And so he took um, some courses in psychology, I think, and sociology or something, and realised nobody had made... Everybody looks at why people are unhappy. They don't look at why people are happy. Uh -huh. So he interviewed loads of people who self-identify as re being really happy. And they tend to be a lot of people who are enlightened. You know, like, um, do you know what I mean? Um, sort of like Buddhist monks and people who've done a lot of meditation or somehow have just fallen into it. This feeling that everything's all right. Nothing really matters. Everything's fine. And he... Um, looked at all the techniques that had put them there. And these are meditation things, prayer things, positive psychology things, and so on. Put them together in a course and reckons to make nearly everybody who goes into his course, no matter where they're coming from, whether they're really upset about anything, depressed, anxious, PTSD, you know, all sorts of things. And 60 to 70% of them finish up much happier. That's amazing. Yes. Now, yes. We have something here. Let me go grab the paper. Yeah. I'm going to look it up on my cell phone because I'm working it next. Yeah. Week. Okay. This okay. is his book. This is his oh. book about it. The oh, Finders. The They're finding peace of mind, basically. The Finders. Doctor Jeffrey. That's his book about it all. And he runs these courses. In fact, one started last day before yesterday. 45 days of awakening. Uh, it costs a bit to do them. Okay, it's called the Conscious Life Expo. Yeah. And I think he's going to be there. I am, I had to look it up on my cell phone. Mm -hmm. We know they're good for something. Mm -hmm. um, let's see, leave mail, open link, yes. He's one of the speakers. Yeah. Along with George Nori, who, same thing. Mm -hmm. But it's, um, yeah, I'm covering it for a friend that's a medical intuitive. Well, it'll be very interesting for you to go to. Yes. So um, there is media. She's only there one day, but I'm going to go back the next day mm -hmm. because there are workshops. And I'll find out when he's speaking so I can talk to him. Give him, give him a go. Yeah. Because he then looks at the various levels of happiness that one can get into. He calls them different locations. And I think I... Okay, we froze again. Oh dear, what a shame. That's okay. You can just... Uh, what, what did you miss? Um, where did you last hear me talk? Looks at levels of happiness. Yes. Yeah. 
Um, and I'm in location one. I was in location one on most of my life, which is sort of like a glass half full person, an optimistic person. I've had quite a checkered life, you know, as I said, three marriages, um, a brush with bankruptcy, my children have both been ill, you know, various things. But I've always stayed cheerful. So I think I've been in location one for years. Then I took this course and I think I got catapulted into what he calls location three, which is the end game for the Abrahamic religions. It's the one, it's um, like when you're a saint or something. <laughs> it's so, so funny, I can't, can't, can't get my head around this at all. <laughs> but basically, I just want to wish love and, you know, to everybody and I'm just so full of happiness I just can't contain it really quite often I could actually see that just looking at you because <laughs> it's like um you have this I can't explain it but you know what it is well um I think what set me up is I never went around the ashrams I never did years of meditation or anything like that but I did work for the NHS for 20 years and what it taught me is that there's never any blame and there's never any judgment because I met very damaged children and you'd talk to their parents and you'd think, well, I don't think I would have done much better than you, given your background and your upbringing. Occasionally I had the grandparents in and you talk to them and you think, no, they were handling terrible poverty or illness or something or other. And I just felt I couldn't possibly judge anybody. And, you know, and I've uh, with these children who would often behave very badly, I became clear that bad behaviour is the result of pain, that they were really upset about something. So they shouted and screamed and weed all over the consulting room or whatever they did, you know, and it, it just made me feel poor lambs. Yeah. Now, what about, come here, sweetie, my dog. <laughs> oh, I haven't got any of my four dogs in here at the moment. I thought I wouldn't have them to distract. <laughs> I love it. What kind are they? Three golden retrievers and a Jack Russell. My golden passed away two years ago. Aren't they just the best? He was 14. Wonderful. And um, he was a rescue. I was home number four, mm -hmm. 10 months. And he realized he'd never get yelled at again, never get hit again. He bullied. One of the my, most lovely things, I think, golden retrievers. Yeah. He bullied my pit bull to no end. <laughs> <laughs> and he had this kind of evil smile. <laughs> lovely. But when I was sick mm -hmm. in 2009, my day for like two weeks, because I had a bad flu, mm -hmm. I'd get up, shower, because you know that always makes you feel better. Yeah, yeah. The dog park so he could run around, come mm -hmm. home, shower, <laughs> sleep. I did that for two weeks. Yeah. So one afternoon, I'm napping, I wake up, and he's bringing kibble to me so I could eat. Oh, bless and just looking at me like I'm taking you are. it was so oh. oh how sweet how absolutely sweet just the best and I keep thinking do I want another golden yes have them I mean we we had um the lovely Jemima first the golden <gasps> and she was gorgeous she um she lived to be nearly 17 Oh my we God. had to put her down. And in fact, on my website, on the blogs, there's a blog about the death of Jemima, which was not long ago. But we got um, a younger retriever 
jumble to keep her going because we were told that an old dog responds well if you have a younger one to jolly them along you know mm-hmm. um and um so we've got jumble now who's nearly 10 now and we thought well we'll get another younger one to keep him going so we went to a breeder and we my husband and I and we couldn't decide which one we wanted and so in the end we said we'll have that one and um the, the breeder said okay so all the others had been docketed to other owners and she rang us up a couple of weeks later saying well one of the the owner of the other dog that you really liked has d- dipped out do you want both of them or do you want to change your mind and my husband Oscar said well I have both <laughs> we've had they're now 15 months old and god they are a handful but they are so lovely they are so lovely and I'm of the belief Every kid needs to have a dog as a best friend. Absolutely. I I grew up with dogs. Did you? I did until my parents got divorced. Mm -hmm. And then when I moved out, I had a husky. Mm -hmm. Oh, they're lovely. And hairy as all heck. (laughs) Like retrievers. (laughs) True. But a home isn't a home without dog hair. No, no. I quite agree. Didn't have a dog for like 20 years. Then I adopted an older Dalmatian. Her name was Spot. That was the name she had. I had a Dalmatian too. Aren't they wonderful? Jethro, mine was called. Oh, I love it. So after Spot died, didn't want another dog. So my stepbrother calls me, his dog's having puppies. I still don't want another dog. So then I had Guido Luigi from the puppies. (laughs) (laughs) Guido passed away. Didn't want another dog. Did not want a dog. I was liking getting up going, doesn't smell like dog pee. (laughs) (laughs) I know. So I got a picture of this abandoned golden. Mm. I was working as an investigator with the state bar and another investigator sent me this picture. And she goes, you know, he's going back to the pound and I fell in love with him. So I flew cross country and got him. That was my first golden. Yeah. And um, I had him service dog certified because I'm in a no pets building. Mm-hmm. Like that's going to stop me. <laughs> <laughs> and um he learned that he could be a puppy. Yeah. Although he did get disciplined when he jumped on my counter and ate my tiramisu cake. Well, our two puppies ate everything, everything. Shoes, yes. glass, one's glasses, um, you know, anything. And in fact, that one of them got a blockage in its gut and we had to spend vast amounts of money. And the vet said, you know what it had inside it? And we said, no. And he said it was knickers, handkerchiefs, um, uh, tea towels. It was a laundry basket of stuff that he'd eaten, you know. Mm -hmm. And they do that. They do that. So um, Linus was about seven years old. Mm -hmm. I got a call to foster for a week. My pit lab mix, who's here now, Mm -hmm. didn't know how he'd take it. So I come home with this dog. My nephew was living with me. He opens the door. Linus's face lights up and it's like, Oh boy, a girlfriend. Thanks, mom. Let me teach you all my bad habits. <laughs> Lovely. So my one week turned into now 10 years. Yes. He bullied her to no end and she took it. And, um, you know, I was, I had made the appointment. He was so sick. Mm. So I made the appointment with the vet and he passed away on the way to the vet. Oh, that's good. Yeah. And at least you don't have to feel that you did it. I felt I felt awful about doing it to Jemima. Yeah, it's hard. 
Well, with her, her back legs had failed and we were hauling her around on a harness, you know, but then her front legs started going. And I thought, I, I just can't. They're such big dogs, you know, and but she was still eating well and she still had a waggy tail, you know, and you feel, oh, God, it was awful. But she was nearly 17 and the vet said he'd never seen one go so old as that, you know. Yeah. So. Well, the man I work for, because I work three days a week for an attorney, we hit it off immediately. We both had Goldens. We mm-hmm. lived two blocks from each other, which is so bizarre. Mm-hmm. And we had the same vet. So the day I knew was, would be my Golden's last day, he said, stay home with your dog. I said, mm-hmm. okay. Mm-hmm. And I stayed home. I'm actually sitting where he laid that last day. And it was just amazing. I mean, it's been almost, and I still feel him and I still cry. Yeah. I know, me too. But my grandmother, who always had dogs, said, the grief you feel when they die is a small price to pay for the joy they give you when they're alive. I love that. I I think it's very nice. Yeah, because they are joy when they're alive, aren't they? And you have years of it, quite honestly. You do, if you're lucky. (laughs) Well, you and I both. And Golden, once you have one, you're addicted. Absolutely, absolutely. Also, when I had the Dalmatian, it's when that movie 101 Dalmatians came out. Yes. (laughs) And every kid in town wanted to pet my dog. I would ask you how many spots it had. Did you get asked that? No, because mine looked like... Oh, I did. (laughs) And I used to say 392. Oh, I love it. (laughs) And they say, okay, (laughs) they'd be happy with that. (laughs) But I would tell the parents... If you don't have a yard and you don't have the time, don't get this dog. The pounds and shelters are full of them. They're inbred and they're not good dogs for kids. Oh, I think my Jethro was good for kids. He was okay. We we got him as a rescue dog. He was two years old. Um, A marriage had broken down and neither of them could cope with it. It was single people, I think. And he was really good tempered and nice and very silly and lovely, but virtually untrainable could hardly get him to sit or do anything. I think they are difficult like that. They're very stubborn. They're like huskies. They're stubborn. Yeah. Yeah. And they do need an awful lot of exercise. Yeah. Yeah. Which is why I haven't adopted another golden yet. Yeah. Because I'm in a flat with a patio and. Yeah. Unfortunate. My dogs are not barkers. That's good. Yeah. Ours do. (laughs) But you're in a house, I take it. We are. And it's in a country village and there's lots of nice walks around. And so it's easy to do that. Yeah. That's wonderful. Anyway, yeah. we got off topic, but that's cool. <laughs> <laughs> so again, we can find you at JennyRook.com. You can. On Amazon and anywhere books are sold. Yes. And um, it is a book that tends to make people feel happy. That's what we need right now. Yeah. Yeah. We've come out of two years of quarantine. I know. And people need to be happy. They do. They do. And there's so much um, stuff around. I mean, we are vibrations. If you think about it at the quantum level, we're just, you know, little bits of stuff fizzing around. And we lower our vibrations if we dwell on climate change, which is a reality. I'm not denying it or anything. Or, you know, how awful things are or fear of old age or illness or whatever else is going on it lowers our vibration it's best not to watch the news more than once a day I think you know to look at it more than once a day Um, I've heard that concept (laughs) yeah (laughs) you know um 
if you're in the West, like we are here and you are where you are, you know, you've got clean water, you've got health, you'd care, you've got social care, you've got things you can be grateful for. Be grateful. It's great. It cheers you up. You know, anything is anything to do to make yourself feel happy is good for you and good for humanity because it spreads. Well, I just feel I'm grateful I can get up. I'm grateful yes. to walk. Yes. Not grateful for the rain when it rains, but then again, I am because it clears everything. It clears and it keeps things growing. You know, and I've got, I live in a nice place. Not everybody lives inside. No, they don't. You know, when we've got food and it's just. Well, you, you've been a nurse, haven't you? And you, you know how much people suffer with all sorts of things. And if you can get out of bed in the morning without too many aches and pains, then you're a step ahead, aren't you? Exactly. Yeah. And I do work with PTSD vets. Mm. Um, it's a volunteer thing. Mm -hmm. And I've seen... Have you read um, Alan Botkin's book, which uh, he does EMDR with vets? In, he's an American writer. I can't remember the name of the book, but it's very interesting. EMDR often works very well with um, post-traumatic stress disorder. What is EMDR? Eye movement desensitization therapy, something like that. And it gets the left and right brain going and trauma tends to get stuck in one part and it gets it moving so that it can dissipate. I'm going to bring that up to the head of our organization. Yeah, do. EMDR is one thing that's really well known to help with uh, PTSDs, especially um, for, for vets. It's been shown to work a lot. Well, we have on our board a woman who severe PTSD, but she's done something like 120 parachute jumps. Oh. I know. When she told me that, I was like, oh, my gosh. Yes. Yeah, incredible person. But you can also feel a lot of anger from her, too. Yeah. I'm going to bring this up. But anyway, yeah. I want to thank you so much for joining me. It was a pleasure. Didn't no, we, we get on well? On <laughs> we could go on for hours, couldn't we? Yes. Run over. There's a British pub across the street. Oh, excellent. <laughs> Lovely. And thank you again. And you have a wonderful rest of the week. Thank you so much. And the same to you. And enjoy your dog. And I hope everything goes really well. And enjoy your Goldens and your other dog, the Jack Russell. Yes, I will. Who probably bullies them. <laughs> yes, she is feisty. <laughs> and you have a wonderful, wonderful week. And thank you again. Thank you so much, too. Virtual. Thank you. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye-bye.